Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. Phil Bildner has had an interesting career, or careers, I should say. He was a corporate attorney in New York. He was an elementary school teacher in New York City as well. But for the last 15 years or so, he's been writing children's books. About two dozen of them, many of them centered on the world of sports. His newest is a high five for Glenn Burke, and it's a pleasure to welcome to the show Phil Bildner. Phil, thank you for being with us. Uh, thanks so much for having me. This is a thrill. So, Phil, how, how do you go from being an NYU law grad, a Johns Hopkins undergraduate, graduate, corporate law in New York, uh, to writing books for kids? Um, I guess it started in the classroom. I taught, you know, uh, elementary and middle school in the New York City public schools for 11 years. And I, more than anything, it's what my students inspired me to write. You know, we would do reading in class. We would do reading work workshop and writing workshop in class. And I'd have you know, more than anything, I felt as though you need to model the behavior. So I started doing reading and writing also. And sure enough, one thing led to another. And now I get to do this for a living. What kind of gratification do you get out of writing books for kids? Um, it's, it's a thrill. It's a thrill. The fact that there are schools and grownups and, and, and parents sharing my books with kids, it, it does the heart good knowing that, you know, when I was teaching, reading out loud, sharing books with my class was like the favorite part of the day. It was, it was a non-negotiable. I read out loud to my students every single day and knowing that that's happening with my books now is wonderful. So, so many, as I said, are set against the backdrop of sports. I'm looking at your catalog right now, the greatest game ever played, Colts and Giants, 41 uh, baseball season, DiMaggio and Williams, the shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson, even uh, Joe Jackson, say it ain't so, Joe, although the book is titled Shoeless Joe and Black Betsy. I mean, great stories from the world of sports. Why do you think these stories uh, resonate the way they do with kids? I think it's a common language that so many of us speak. You know, oftentimes we look for you know, entryways and different ways to connect with one another. And so often it's sports. And I think it's one of the things right now that we're missing. We're missing live sports. We're missing that moment of that element of connect- connectivity right now that so many of us rely on it as a way to like relate to one another. And I always tell kids, you know, you write about what you know and care about. And growing up, I played sports. I love sports. So when you're passionate about something and you love it, it's going to come across in your work. We're speaking to the acclaimed children's book author, Phil Bildner. His latest is A High Five for Glenn Burke. And for those in the audience, and there are many of them, of course, at this point, who don't know Glenn Burke's story, would you give us a synopsis uh, of the Glenn Burke story, not necessarily just the book, Phil? Sure, absolutely. So Glenn Burke was a Major League Baseball player in the 1970s. He played for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He had a a cup of coffee in 1976, and then he played for quite some time in 1977. And he was pretty highly touted. He was a five-tool talent, and people thought he was going to have a wonderful career for them. And essentially the story goes in the 77 season, you know, the Dodgers, they were, they were forced, they made it to the World Series that year. And the last weekend of the season, they had three players with 30 or more home runs. They had Steve Garvey, Reggie Smith, Ron Say, and no team in baseball history had ever had four players with 30 home runs on the same team in the same season. And Dusty Baker at the time had 29. 
And heading into that last weekend of the season, they played, they played the Houston Astros, and Dusty Baker didn't hit a home run on, on Friday night, didn't hit a home run on Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon the Dodgers had to face J.R. Richard at Chavez Ravine. And the famously hard-throwing J.R. Richard, whose career would eventually be cut short by a stroke or, or a couple of strokes, but he was fearsome. Uh, he, he was dominant. I mean, he, he was he was one of the most like menacing pitchers. Like you know, people like he was he was he was one of those dominant forces in the league at that time. And his third at bat, um, which might have been his last at bat of the day, Dusty Baker hit his thirtieth home run of the season. And when he got to home plate, the on deck batter was Glenn Burke. Now, Glenn Burke was many people considered him the heart and soul of that Dodger clubhouse, of that Dodger dugout. You know, he was just this bundle of energy and he would always be singing and dancing and performing comedy and doing sketches. Um, he'd even make fun of Tommy Lasorda in the dugout where he'd stuff like pillows in his jersey and waddle up and back and forth. And I don't <laughs> think Tommy liked that, enjoyed that too much. But so Dusty Baker runs around the bases and when he gets to home plate, you know, Glenn Burke just waves his hand in the air, air wildly and gives him the first high five. And, of course, there's no video footage of it. There is a still photo of it, but there is no video footage of that first high five. The first high five ever, you're saying. That's correct. That is the beginning of what we now know as, and which currently, of course, is out of favor, uh, uh, the high five. That is correct. This was the, this is like most people consider this the high five. This is the, the origin story. And then Glenn Burke came up to that and hit his first major league home run against J.R. Richard. And then when he circled the bases and got back to the dugout, Dusty Baker gave him the second high five. And it started from there. We're speaking with Phil Bildner. His new book for kids, picture book, is a high five for Glenn Burke. But this is a story that is about much more than the origins of the high five. That's correct. So the book is a middle grade novel. And when we talk about a middle grade novel, we mean for kids ages 9 to 12 or 10 to 13. It's with those kids who have like their hands and faces pressed up against like the windows of adolescence. And it's the story of Silas Wade, who's the 12-year-old baseball player, star center fielder of his team. And he's kind of he's a chill kid, but he's kind of a goof also. You know, he likes to sing karaoke with his best friend. He can um, recite every line and reenact every scene from the Sandlot, and in, um, which is one of my favorite movies. So, of course... So in language arts class, in ELA class, the kids are all given an assignment where they have to do a oral presentation on, a, on an inventor. And Silas chooses Glenn Burke, but he leaves out the most important part, arguably, of the Glenn Burke story. And Glenn Burke was a gay major league baseball player. And Silas doesn't share this with his classmates. But for Silas, this is his first baby step towards coming out as gay. It's him cracking open the door. It's his moment. Because you know, coming out isn't a moment. It, it, it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. So for this 12-year-old boy who's an athlete, it's his first time really wanting to you know, express to the world that he wants to live his authentic life, even though others aren't always willing to make a place on the field for everyone. And it becomes a story about acceptance and respect for everyone's humanity. What, what, how many books are there out there, uh, for, for middle schoolers that, that deal with these very sensitive issues? 
um, there are more and more, thankfully, because there need to be more and more. You know, kids need to be the heroes of their own stories. They need to see themselves in books. And this is actually, you know, it's for middle school, but it's also for upper elementary. I've been able to speak to like fourth grade classes and fifth grade classes about this. There's um there's a professor at at Ohio State University. Well, well, my bad. The Ohio State University. And her name, you know, I need to say that correctly. Don't forget the definite article. Of course. I, I've learned that lesson well. And her name is Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop. And she's the one who pioneered the ob- idea that books are like mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. And that's so important for kids. As a mirror, kids need to be able to see themselves in books. And as a window, they need to be exposed to other worlds. And as a sliding glass door, they need to be able to open those doors and travel through them vicariously and safely to experiencing other things. We're speaking with Phil Bildner, the acclaimed author of children's books. His latest, as we've been talking about, is a high five for Glenn Burke. And what's what's been the reaction? Um to this book, uh, dealing with this issue, the LGBTQ um, story for kids, uh, holding up a mirror, as you said, what's been the reaction? It's actually been overwhelmingly positive and incredible. I was fortunate enough um, to be able to go on tour right before we hit the pause. I was able to go on a, a short tour. My publisher, Macmillan, for Al Strauss and Giroux, Giroux sent me out on a a tour and for them to actually support a book like this is not lost on me. And I got to visit schools and do bookstore appearances for this book. And, and, and the response was overwhelming. And can I tell a quick story about, about one experience in Denver, which really kind of, you know, capsulized everything for me. Um, it was, um, I was in, it was on a, a Friday afternoon. I was visiting a school in Denver and, and I was speaking to fourth graders and the teacher has actually been starting to read the book out loud to the class, which for me, any teacher reading my book out loud is like, a, I, I love that teacher that she can do no wrong. So she's reading my book out loud to the class. And earlier that day, you know, they'd gotten to the point in the book where Silas, the main character, had came out to his friend. And then she dismissed the class for lunch and, moved, and all the kids left for lunch. But one kid stayed behind and he started crying like, uh, like uncontrollably. He was not consolable. And it took a long time for him to get, regain his composure. And the teacher was actually concerned that someone had done something to him. Was he OK? And finally, when the kid was able to regain his composure, he asked the teacher if he could tell her something that he's never told anyone before. And he whispered in her ear, he said, I'm like Silas. And for me, yeah, I mean, and I, you just can't be prepared for a moment like that ever. And I mean, I've been told that I, I, with some of my authors who do write LGBTQ books for kids and for teens, they said, you know, be prepared. Those moments are going to happen. And you can try and prepare, but nothing could recognize that. You, you, you know that your book has the opportunity to change lives and save lives. But when it does like that, it's, it's just, it's indescribable. And I was able, I asked the teacher if I was able to, to meet the kid, if I was, if I could speak to the kid, because, you know, when you have those moments as, as a former teacher and as an athlete, you, you visualize certain moments. Like you go, what would I do in this situation? If this situation ever arose and I got to speak to this kid and I got to meet this kid and I got to tell this kid, you know, I got to tell him like how proud I was of his. And I said, I didn't know you, but, but I do know you. And I said, like, you're so much braver than I ever was at his age. And I told him he was going to have a beautiful life, but things were going to suck at times. They definitely weren't going to suck, but it would get better. It would get better. He was going to find a family and friends and people would love him for who he is. 
And I got to tell him that he would get to be the hero of his own story. And I said to him, all the things that I needed to hear at that age, and they're kind of things I still need to hear sometimes, but in that moment, you know, I, I, I got to be who I needed when I was younger. And it's why I wrote this book. This was the book I wrote for middle school me when I was 12 years old. I didn't know gay kids could play sports. I didn't know queer kids could be athletes. I thought I was all alone in the world. And a book like this, it would have provided me with so much hope. What does the Glenn Burke story mean for you, Phil, now as a guy, you know, in middle age? Wow. Um, you know, you ask me that question right now, and I'm sitting with my top baseball cards sitting in front of me for this. You know, I got Glenn Burke on the Dodgers in his 1978 baseball cards and for the Oakland A's in his 1979 baseball cards. So I'm looking at them right now. I, I think he's a, a bridge to acceptance, especially in this moment that we're in. You know, the irony isn't lost on me. The, like, the cruel irony isn't lost on me that I've written a book about the high fives in this moment that we're encouraging everyone or insisting on that everyone physically distance ourselves when we're instead of, you know, handshaking and high fiving and fist bumping, we're supposed to wave and bow. So this is not lost on me. So in many ways, though, I think this might be a a book for this moment. And Glenn Burke's story is really the story for this moment in so many other ways, because it's providing a, a glimmer of hope. I feel as though it provides a glimmer of, of hope. That's why I look at him. Phil Bildner's latest is a high five for Glenn Burke. Phil, thanks so much for joining us here in The Sporting Life, and good luck with the book. Jeremy, this is wonderful. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, man. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern time.